Andy now when you're starting to find me, yeah? Back at your back at home with your wife. I will correct you, you are wrong. Ghetto man and he fights in a ghetto way. He ain't touched the bell. He can't even reach it. Are you guys fooling me? Are you guys, you better not fool me. This is the Sucker Voice Radio Hour. Hey, I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. <laughs> I'm back. Jeremy Brand here for Sucker Radio here on MMASucker.com. I've got a doozy of a show. It's going to go over an hour this time, and I'm not going to chat much more, but UFC is officially canceled. So let's get right into my first interview. I am joined by BJJ Black Belt and one championship undefeated fighter, Gary Tonin. Um, yeah, man, I'm good. Um you know, uh, I just got, uh, what was I going to say? I got a stem cell therapy recently. Oh, so shit. I'm just kind of like, you know, armless for the time being. What happened there? Uh, just, I had arthroscopic surgery a while before that. There was like some chunks of like cartilage or bone or something flying around in the elbow. Uh, and it was good for like six months or so. But then I started kind of having like some arthritic symptoms where there was just like some weird pain in the elbow. Um, and, uh, you know, they just, this is really all they can really do, um, you know, for stuff like that. So um, hopefully it helps. If it doesn't, no big deal. I'll, I'll find ways to work around it. It's not like it was like a debilitating thing where I couldn't use my arm or anything. Was it just from like years of grappling or what? Probably. Fair enough. Now, obviously, we're in some tough times now. Um, what, what have you been able to keep yourself busy with these days? What's that? I said, what have you been able to keep yourself busy with these days? I mean, we're in some tough well, times, some interesting yeah, scenario. Honestly, it's, it, I've been able to keep pretty busy because I got, um, I got my own, my own school and stuff, even though it's shut down. Like basically what I'm doing is trying to provide as much online content as possible. So I myself, am not really doing the moves because like I said, I did the stem cell thing. I, I did like one or two of them before I, uh, uh, before I kicked it off, but I've been still paying my instructors and stuff. Um, you know, enough people are still enrolled in the gym and not, you know, that didn't stop their payments that I'm still able to do that. And, uh, you know, so I'm having all my instructors do these zoom sessions. Um, and I'm kind of like pre-planning those, um, every day. And then I kind of, uh, I do some, uh, video breakdowns for my students and then I do my own study every day. Like, cause obviously I'm in addition to, <laughs> in addition to being the whole quarantine thing, I'm not really able to like do too much exercise or anything like that. So the best yeah. I can do is kind of just focus on studying. So I've been watching a lot of fights, particularly just uh, recently covered like pretty much every single one of Khabib's UFC fights uh, in depth, watched them multiple times, did like a pretty good study there. So I'm kind of doing stuff like that. Um, and then just taking care of some other responsibilities. I've got uh, my uh, dad. I recently uh, got him into a rehab um, for, uh, alcohol and, uh, you know, I, uh, been kind of like running around handling some of his responsibilities and stuff that he needs done while he's over there. And, uh, yeah, man. So there's tons to do. No kidding. <laughs> oh, and I just moved apartments. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I, I moved out of my old, old apartment. Um, so like I just did basically, I gave myself like a month to get everything out of there instead of hiring movers and stuff. So I just like, uh, day by day was just like picking up different things and bringing them to the new place. And, you know, it's still kind of not a hundred percent unpacked, but you know, there's tons to do in that regard too. So are you closer to the gym now? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm closer to Henzo's. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'm farther away from uh, my gym, but it works out better because basically I'm like directly across from Secaucus train station. So uh, pretty much uh, the train station, I would say from I would say from door to door when I leave my apartment to get to Henzo's, uh, I can get there. I could get there as soon as like 30 minutes if I time it right with the trains. So um, that's like way better than before, which was like an hour and a half both ways. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> now it basically cuts down on my uh, the traffic that I would encounter getting into New York, which is the worst of it. Um, like basically going through the tunnel and everything like that is always hell. Um, so it just takes so long. So now I, I just have the quick train ride and I get to hang out at my house. Well, obviously now that we're quarantined, I'm not doing this, but previously yeah. <laughs> uh, I would hang at my house for like an hour or so. And then, uh, then I would head back down South. And even that was better because like I said, like now I'm not hitting like the tunnel traffic going home. So, you know, it takes maybe 40, 45 minutes tops, you know, to get from my house now to, to the gym where I teach at. And then at night it's no big deal at all. You know, it's really quick. It's probably like a 30 minute drive cause there's just no traffic at all. So like, it saves me some money, you know, and tolls and stuff like that. It saves me some time. So all in all, it's just like a, a quality of life move for me. Like I had no problem living like where I was before, but like now I'm in a nicer apartment and I'm closer to <clears throat> Henzo's. So it's not like killing me. Like I'm losing like a lot of sleep and stuff and, or, um, and it's, you know, I think it's just better on me in general. I, I, I lived that way for a long time with the whole hour and a half drive yeah. back and, um, uh, I think I just realized like, man, I don't want to live my life, the rest of my life this way. I can't do it. So, uh, you know, I finally made the move and, uh, it's been a lot better, but obviously like, you know, I only got a little taste of it before the, uh, before the whole, uh, shutdown thing happened. So I was only really like able to, you know, go back and forth to the gym for like a couple of weeks during, uh, I guess March. Yeah, that's pretty that, much the same with, shutdown. pretty much the same with your Academy as well. Right. I mean, if I'm not mistaken you opened up a new club well a new new facility in february and i mean were you worried at all that that this may harm you know your business in the in the long term yeah so i'm i'm pretty financially smart uh when it comes to like planning and things um i've never really like uh taken any money from the gym so like the gym pretty much just like reinvests all of its money and just sits in an account and then like you know i pay my instructors and stuff so we had we had a decent amount of money for the move. It's it costs you know it's always always costs more than you think it's going to cost, and uh, you know so we put a lot into that for sure. Um, you know buying mats and stuff because it wasn't just a move. Like uh, we moved to a bigger space, and I you know the mats that we had were training on were probably like a little over ten years old. Um, so I didn't want to keep those. So I kind of like in addition to moving, it was like. It was almost like, you know, kind of opening a new gym in a sense instead of just, you know, moving your stuff. So um, a lot of costs involved in that. In terms of like hurt, hurt, of course, it's going to hurt us. Like, you know, we're definitely not going to uh, be able to sustain the same amount of uh, of business. Of course, people cancel their, you know, their memberships and things. And I told them to do that, you know, like because obviously a lot of people were under financial yeah. stress, you know. Um, it's nice that some people were able to continue it, whether it's cause they're working or they're financially well off enough. Uh, I, I think we could sustain this for a little while, you know, with the amount of money that I had saved, uh, in the, in the business account and with, uh, you know, with people continuing to kind of support the gym, even though, um, you know, they're not able to come in and train, they're just getting the online stuff. 
So um, it, it hurts for sure, but you know, I, I happen to be the, the one thing I'm worried about, I would say from the gym's perspective that could be a little dangerous is not so much us. Um, but I worry a little bit about the other people that we sublet from. Yeah. So, uh, basically there's a, another, uh, group of people that the, that own 10,000 square feet of this industrial building, right? Or I shouldn't say own, they, uh, they rent 10,000 square feet and we're part of that 10,000 square feet. So we have like 3000 square feet or, or more, a little bit more than that, um, of their space that we're renting. But they own a business that is also not in operation right now during this whole crisis. So, and their rent is obviously much higher, uh, considering they have so much more space. So, I do worry a little bit that, you know, if they're not as financially prepared for this, you know, in terms of being shut down for months or whatever the case may be, that, you know, if they have to for sure. default or whatever, and they get kicked out, then we're going to get kicked out too. You know, that's kind of how subletting works. Like, yeah. there's no protection really in place. Um, you could probably get something signed like that, but there's, you know, nobody will want to do it. So, um, you know, there's no protection in place for me if they fold. So that's, uh, that's worrisome. But at the same time, you know, I feel like I've gone, I've gone through last minute moves and stuff like that before. I'm, I'm sure the gym would be okay. You know, it's, uh, it's, I'm more worried about like other, you know, real work, big, big problems that people are going to have, you know, whether it's people dying or, whether it's, you know, people like, you know, losing their house and stuff because they can't afford their mortgage and things because, you know, they're not able to work and things like I'm more worried about those kind of repercussions. I feel like my gym's going to be all right. And even if it wasn't all right, and I eventually had to, you know, bankrupt the gym and start over again, like I'm prepared to do that. You know, like I've done it once before. Hell, um, <laughs> I can, I'm at a better point now than I was when I started it the first time. So, you know, I think I would be able to, to swing back no problem. But there's a lot of people that are not like that, you know. Uh, and not as as financially prepared for this, and uh, I'm a lot more more concerned about them. So I'm going to do okay, man. You know, it's it's hard, and I feel for a lot of the other gym owners out there that maybe you know weren't as financially prepared yeah. for this too. I think it's going to hit every community pretty hard. You know, not just the jiu-jitsu community. It's just you know, it's everybody as a whole. I mentioned this in previous interviews. This is just like something that you know, it's going to be real tough for everybody. There's no winners in this. And I totally understand, you know, I've gone through some, some online criticism saying certain things about it and this, that, and the other thing, but when I haven't totally you <laughs> how aggressive, Oh, exactly. I totally understand how aggressive people are getting and emotional and stuff because I mean, this is a tough time, man. Like this is really, this is something that I don't think anybody <laughs> would have really expected. I mean, how many times have we gone you know, have, have there been a like, oh, you know, SARS is going to yeah. kill everybody and swine flu is going to kill everybody. And, you know, how many times have we been warned about stuff like this? And then it never really turned into anything, you know? So I, I think we've kind of felt pretty invincible uh, over the years from all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, this is the first time that we're really seeing some true impact. So I think this is a real big shock to everybody. And, uh, everybody's scared and doesn't really know a hundred percent what to do. So I feel for everybody out there, man, you know, it's tough for me, but it's a lot tougher for a lot of other people. So how long did it take you for, <clears throat> for it to actually kick into your head that this shit was for real? Because, you know, there were a lot of skeptics out there. There were people that were still training in their gyms and whatnot. When, when did it yeah. actually affect you and, and kick into your head that, man, this is actually real? Well, I would say I, I, I recognize that it was, it was serious, uh, just from what happened in China, like, you know, even though it wasn't quite, you know, happening in the U S or at least we didn't know whether or not it was happening. Cause you know, we, they weren't testing anybody or anything like that. Um, I could tell just based off of the death rate 
uh, in general, even though it's probably not reported correctly because it's China. But <laughs> I could tell from what was happening there, and then even more so uh, when you know stuff started happening in Italy, uh, that this was definitely going to be a problem in terms of like it was definitely going to cause a lot of deaths and, and things like that. Uh, but as to whether or not it was going to be this, you know, this this thing that actually shut down the country is a totally different story. That I wasn't, I didn't necessarily think was going to happen. Um, until it ha- happened, you know, like until they actually said, Hey, you know, you got to close up, you know, once I started seeing that people were being forced to close their businesses and things. And cause it kind of happened progressively. It wasn't like all, all at once. It was kind of like, you know, individual governors and stuff were coming out and saying, Hey, we're shutting down. As soon as that started happening, I was like, ah, this is going to be a cascade because it's kind of similar to what happened with the jiu-jitsu gyms. So when Keenan originally first came out and said like, you know, his little thing, about how he was closing his gym yeah. and like, you know, you're irresponsible if you don't close yours and, uh, you know, you're, you're part of the problem and all this stuff. It's like that hits people. And then one after another, you know, everybody folds and not to say that it's not a, a good thing. Like I totally get it. You know what we're trying to do, um, with, uh, you know, social distancing and whatnot. And obviously jujitsu is not <laughs> favorable for, to that. But all I'm saying is, is it, it does kind of turn into a little bit of a cascade in the sense that, you know, uh, if, if you stay open and you're next door to Keenan, then you're going to get criticism. And he's like, Hey man, you know, why aren't you guys closed? Like he's trying to save lives. Like why aren't, so it's like, even if it, even if it wasn't the right decision, like you, everybody looks bad, right? Cause like if one governor says like we're shutting down then, and the next governor doesn't do anything about it, then, you know, he looks like a jerk off, Yeah, you know, cause the one guy is kind of, you know, taking action. Uh, which kind of delves into a, a deeper problem that I'm I'm seeing, which is that we're treating this problem all the same across the entire U.S., which seems a little ludicrous because there's like places that literally have zero confirmed cases with no, you know, that no coronavirus that are treating this the same way that like New York is treating it, you know, which yeah, seems yeah. kind of crazy to me that like a place in Texas with no confirmed cases and no, you know, the the hospitals aren't filling up or anything like that is shutting down economically the same way that somewhere in New York would like, obviously New York has a problem and like there needs to be, you know, uh, measures taken, but like places like that, it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. I think that we could probably have a little bit more of a, uh, um, uh, I guess, what would I say? Uh, measured approach and, and, uh, uh, divided approach, I guess I would say, uh, dependent upon the severity of the problem in certain areas. But again, it's like one of those things where it just was so shocking and scary for everybody. So I kind of get why everything got shut down, at least for the period of time that it did. But I think that was, that's what we're going to start to see in the future is probably some places start to kind of start back up. Uh, but, and then other places probably continue to stay shut down because it's, you know, they're worried about the hospitals filling up and stuff. Makes complete sense. Backing up a little bit there, you, uh, yeah. you know, you, you spoke about Keenan and his whole statement. Now you said sure. there were criticisms out there. Obviously you had uh, a back and forth with Keenan there and it was, sure. I don't know whether it was misinterpreted or what was going on there, but are you, is that yeah. beef squashed now or have you guys had a talk um, or anything? I never really liked Keenan very much. Um, so, I mean, I guess. Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really like arguing with him currently about all that. I mean, we had a little argument about it and that was pretty much it. Um, I think it, from my point of view, I think it was misunderstood, uh, not necessarily by Keenan, but by other people. Um, in my eyes, uh, what I think people failed to understand is I was mainly criticizing, uh, criticizing Keenan, not for shutting down his gym, but more for condemning people that weren't shutting it down. Like that was the only reason I even reacted to it. There was tons of people shutting down their gyms. 
I had seen tons of posts of different people shutting down their gyms, which was totally fine. But the approach he took was not, hey, we're trying to do this really good thing. I'm trying to shut down my gym to try to save people, this, that, and the other thing. The approach was, hey, I'm trying to shut down my gym, and if you don't do it, you're an asshole. <laughs> like that, that's what I got from the message. Maybe I'm misinterpreting what he was trying to say, but that's really how it came across. And I feel like a lot of things that he does comes come across that way. Um, and, uh, that was kind of the main argument for me is I didn't really like that because I was a, I was a gym owner that hadn't, you know, shut down yet. Um, there were, I knew other gym owners that were close personal friends of mine that hadn't shut down yet. And I just felt like it was an attack at the entire community. Like why I, it just didn't seem like the right thing to me to approach it that way. Like if you want to have somebody, if you want to change somebody's mind and you want to, you know, want to influence somebody, uh, I don't think the best way to go about doing it is to make them feel like an asshole. Yeah. Nobody is going to, nobody is going to feel good about changing their mind then, uh, you know, if that's the approach that you're taking. So I just didn't really, I didn't like it. Um, you know, it is what it is. It's over. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, not, not, it's something that he did and it's done. Um, but you know, I think a lot of people took that as like me saying that like, it wasn't good, you know, for anybody to close their gym. And it really, that really wasn't what I was trying to say at all. Uh, however, I do say, I do stand by the idea that keeping my gym open until the government, you know, closed it was a good idea because to me, it's like, Hey man, look, we're like six weeks into this thing and we don't know how long it's going to last. Hell, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have closed my gym an extra week early for, <laughs> for no course, reason. Yeah. Like I just, I don't know, especially with the number of cases that were actually like in New Jersey at the time, it just didn't seem to make sense. Now it's a much bigger problem, but you know, it is what it is, man. Um, I'm not really, I'm, I'm just as nervous and scared for everybody as the next guy, you know, whether it be because of the disease or because of the economic problems that this is going to cause for everybody. So, you know, um, I, I feel like, I feel like it got turned into a situation where I was like trying to say that everybody should die of coronavirus <laughs> and it didn't matter and we should all just train who gives a fuck. I mean, that's really not what I was trying to say at all. Um, but it is what it is. I think that as we move forward in this, people will start to see a little bit more of what I was trying to say because the longer this lasts, the more, uh, the more economic and, uh, damage this is going to do overall. So they'll start to see kind of like, Oh yeah, I could see why this guy was a little bit concerned here. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so he, he it is, is what it is, man. Um, but again, yeah, like it's not like, I'm not like sending, you know, direct messages to Keenan every day. No, but you, you did thing. say you did, you, you know, dislike him a little bit. Does that date back yeah. pre BJJ Kumite or post? Um, Good question. I would say pre PJJ Kumite. I think the first time I realized I didn't like Keenan was when he messaged me. I was like a purple belt, and Lloyd's had a uh, a general practice uh, at the time of basically recruiting. So what they would do is they'd like see somebody doing like semi decent at like blue or purple belt, and they'd be like, "Oh man, like you know that guy's gonna do well. Let's like try to get him onto the team." You know, so they'd send them out messages or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, he he even went so far as to have like tryouts and stuff like that at, at certain points in his uh, in his his time. Yeah. But anyway, so Keenan one day, you know, I, I we were competing at some tournaments uh, here and there. Uh, we would do like absolute divisions, and I would run into him, and uh, and he's like, he's like, man, he's like, you should come train with us. He's like. You gotta, you gotta train with the best to be the best, or something like that. And I'm like, dude, what are you fucking talking about? Like, I'm part, of, I'm part of an organization that has like some of the best in the world. Like, I mean, being part of like Team Henzo Gracie, Tom the Blast, Ricardo Almeida, you know. And at the time, I wasn't working with John, yeah. but you know, that that's also a resource. But like, man, I had so many great people around me. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, and it was, it, it just really like, 
it just rubbed me the wrong way. But there's been a number of other other situations that we've been involved with. I think Gordon went into depth of, you know, him and Josh Hinger and the whole, uh, you know, I thing with ADCC. They kind of really went about that the wrong way. And I don't know. I don't. I, I wasn't as close to that as uh, they were because obviously I didn't have the fucking eye fungus. Yeah. So <laughs> I wasn't really. But it did affect our team. So you know, I know. Uh, I know it was like a pretty fucking shitty thing. So there's been, there's just been things over, over the, over the years, just the way that he's handled himself. You know, I know he trained with us, with us at Henzo's for a little bit and you know, it is what it is. I I did a couple rounds with him here and there. I kind of just maintained my distance and we'd, I'd say hello to him, you know, at certain instances. And that's how I am with a lot of the jujitsu community. Like I'm the kind of person, uh, that's just kind of a forever loyalist. And like, if you're close to me and I think that you're going to go out of your way for me, uh, and vice versa. And we're, you know, that's going to be the kind of relationship that we're going to have. Then like, you're my, you're my boy and I'll die for you. But like, if I don't, if I can't trust you, if I don't have a reason to trust you, if you've never done anything to show me your trust, like I'm not, we're not friends. Like, I hope everybody understands that. Like, I'm just not, I, I may have to strangle you one day, break your arm. I may have to break your leg. I may have to punch your face off. Like I, I'm not looking like, I don't want to be best friends with all my competition or I may have to coach somebody else to do the same to you. I don't want to be, I don't, I don't have any interest in being best buddies with anybody else. Really. That's not, not close to our team and is not helping our team, you know? So, uh, I've never really, you know, had that, had a good relationship with him period. It's not necessarily that he ever like, you know, did anything other than those things that I was talking about. But yeah, that's just how I feel about everybody in general. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's talk one more BJJ question before move on to MMA quickly. And then I'll let you go here. Um, so you had an epic performance at ADCC. Um, it's probably some of the best matches we saw the entire tournament. Um, and then you went on to compete one more time after that. Are we going to see you on the BJJ mats in 2020 if we can, or are you focusing on MMA? So my main focus is definitely MMA right now. Like when I was talking to you about studying and stuff, all my study and stuff is really focused on MMA. I don't really, I do a little bit of jujitsu study here and there for my students. Um, but like for the majority of like my work, like I obviously still am training jujitsu, yeah. you know, cause that's like the thing that I'm best at. So I, a lot of my MMA fights are going to end that way. Uh, so it's still important for me to be working on jujitsu, but I, I am, I am just explaining uh, like MMA is, is number one for me right now. But having said that, uh, with all of this stuff going on, uh, who knows what's going to happen? Like it's, it's affecting all different kinds of people in different ways. And like, I have no idea, you know, what's going to happen, uh, moving forward, you know, with my organization, For sure. uh, you know, so far that I can see, you know, they're doing everything that they can to try to, you know, keep the shows going and everything like that. And, uh, you know, I think they're also trying to look out for everybody's best interests and health and things. And, you know, the country shut borders and, you know, that was pretty much that. So, um, until that they're kind of up and running again, you know, fights won't be back on. So it's really hard for me to say, it kind of depends on the thing about fighting is, is that usually takes a little bit longer to organize things than a grappling match. So I would imagine that once things kind of kick off where the, you know, whether it's a grappling match or anything else is legal anywhere, I'm going to guess that the grappling matches are going to kind of rear their heads first. And, uh, more than likely I'll be able to take an opportunity like that over an MMA fight. Uh, because I don't think the way I see it, and I could be wrong about this, the way I see it is like probably a fight wouldn't be happening for somewhere until like six months from now. 
Whereas like a grappling match might pop up somewhere two months from now. I mean, we did see Chael put on submission underground two weeks ago, exactly. right? So, so Chael is, so Chael is even still operating. I mean, I think it's a rare exception. I would you compete on that if he talked to you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, right now, like I said, I did the Shoulder, stem cell yeah, thing, so I, I'm going to be out for a little bit, but, um, you know, as soon as I'm healthy again, uh, well, I mean, technically you're healthy now. This, this whole stem cell thing is not necessarily, it's not like, like if I had to fight somebody right now, I'd be fine. But yeah. The, the issue is, it's like the stem cells are supposed to be repairing your body. And if you start going in and, and doing damage to your body at the same time, it doesn't really repair the way it's supposed to. So the idea is you're supposed to limit your mobility and stuff for a while. So I'm, I'm good, but at the same time, like I'm supposed to, if I, if I want to make the most of this, uh, this therapy, I don't want to, you know, do anything right now. So yeah, as soon as I'm healthy, man, I will definitely be looking into that. I love staying busy and I'd be more than happy to take a match. Um, you know, I love grappling. Like I said, MMA is the main focus, but if I can't do it, I can't do it. There's, exactly. Craig <laughs> seems to be that... staying busy with them. I mean, he's on the next card as well, right? Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we, we can see you somewhere sooner rather than later. Yeah, man, for sure. It'll be, it'll be fun, man. You know, I'm always game, always looking to compete, man. I'm going to keep, I'm going to drive this body into the ground until, <laughs> until it has nothing left. So, all right. MMA five and oh in your MMA career signed with one championship, uh, 2018, I believe, and fought three times in that calendar year, twice in 2019, your first three fights, you, you, it seemed like you wanted to test the waters a little bit inside the cage, get sure. as much cage time as you wanted. And then your last two performances, you went in there and, and sealed the deal as quickly as you yes. could, basically. Was was that the plan? You just you felt like you had enough cage time, and now you're like, fuck it, I want to get it over and done with. So, so I would say yes and no to, to what you just said. It's almost accurate. Um, the first few fights, I definitely was testing the waters. Uh, I, I, the, my main concern was, uh, you know, getting in a real experience, getting real cage experience with four ounce gloves on. Cause I don't, I don't spar with four ounce gloves or anything like that. I do, I'll do grappling workouts with them, but we don't like ever hit each other with them. Cause there's just way too many cuts and shit that happen. I've seen, I've seen horror, horrific things. Uh, I don't know how anybody, how any professional team does little glove training. It's just fucking insanity to me. <laughs> but anyway, that's just my personal opinion, especially sometimes, man, they'll do little glove training with, with no headgear. And I'm just like, what the fuck is happening right now? And you wonder you why guys want... have to pull out from fights. <laughs> yeah. Like how do you, how do the, like, it's a miracle that the guys even get to show up for their fucking fights without getting cuts. It's, it's crazy. But anyway, uh, <laughs> back to what I was saying. Yeah. I was trying to get as much experience on the feet as possible. Uh, in my first few fights, because I really just wanted to see what that was like. I needed to feel like, okay, let's, this is what it's like to get hit with a four ounce glove and, you know, to come back and try to, you know, and try to move around and do what I needed to do. Um, and then obviously this is what it's like to hit people, you know, with a four ounce glove on the feet and, and, uh, you know, learning how to hit and not get hit and things. And that's what I practice every day, but I just needed to feel it. Like for me, it's, it's, uh, I, I need that, uh, I need that sensation to build confidence. You know, uh, a lot of people talk about confidence as this existential thing, but I look at confidence as very grounded in reality, at least for me, because to me, if you're confident without, uh, without a real reason, without a real concrete reason to be confident, you're actually just delusional. <laughs> so <laughs> you can be confident, like you could believe in yourself, but you know, like if I, if I go and play tennis with you, I could have the confidence believing that I'm going to beat you in tennis, but I have, I have just like almost zero experience playing. So 
it's delusional confidence. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, not really based yeah. on anything. It's just me like thinking I'm going to win. So uh, when I go in, especially to something that's super serious, like an MMA fight, um, I, I need to, I don't need just delusional confidence. I need real confidence to go in there. Otherwise I'm not going to be able to use those skills that I'm learning. And that's a big, that's a big problem, a big deficit, I think, uh, in general and anything, um, you'll see, you'll see a guy go out and compete. And, uh, that same guy that you train with on the mat next to you is killing it in training. And then he goes out and compete and he knows like two moves because he's just not confident, like, in his skill set in that sort of situation, right? So not only did I need to build the confidence in the training room where I'm wearing the 16-ounce gloves and we're throwing punches back and forth and I'm getting hit and I'm hitting back, but I also needed to build that confidence in a, in real time, like in the real experience. Like I needed that uh, for my own for my own peace of mind. You know, some people may not. You know, some people may be able to just walk right out there. Like I said, I th- I find it to be a little crazy, a little delusional. To, yeah. <laughs> to just not give a shit. But uh, to me, to me, I needed it. But anyway, moving forward into those last two fights, here's where I, I would say that uh, there was a slight deviation. Um, I didn't finish my fourth fight as quickly as I could have. Um, that's the one argument that I would have to what you have to say. Okay. But what I will say is my last two fights, I was intentionally as dominant as possible. Um, that I would say is true. Um, my fourth fight, I chose to basically use grapple box for pretty much the entire fight. So I basically came out there with the intention of winning a fight like Khabib would win a fight. Yeah. Um, I went out there with the intention of controlling, taking the guy down, controlling him and hitting him the entire time. And that's exactly what I did. He threw a low kick, caught it, took him down. Um, and then from that, from that first takedown, I never separated from him, continued to throw punches from different positions, broke him down, stayed on top, controlled, and there were numerous opportunities where I could have went for submission oh, yeah. and never really did. Um, so that was my that fourth fight was my way of getting my feet wet with the idea of, hey, I want you to practice, you know, holding somebody and doing damage. And that was what that was all about for me. So it was a learning experience as well that fight. But that fight I did go in with a different mentality than the first couple fights, which was, hey, like it's all right, you can let the guys go a little bit on the feet. Like you want, I want to feel that. Uh, and that. In that fight, I was like, no, not letting that guy go. There was no like testing the waters. I had just watched that guy throw a head kick KO in like 20 seconds, his previous fight. And I was like, there's zero chance I'm going out there and just testing the waters, striking with this guy and then getting clipped with a head kick. Fuck that. <laughs> so so I, I won in a, in, a, in a very dominant fashion, but I wouldn't say I necessarily won as fast as I, po- I possibly could because I really think there was probably opportunities to submit him uh, throughout that entire entire fight. Um and then moving into the to the uh, last fight, I would definitely agree that I won that fight as fast as I possibly could have. Um, I went out there in the fifth fight, in my mind, with no intention of practicing any particular skill, but going out there with all of my skill sets, all of my abilities, and saying, "Okay, what is the quick? What, the, what is the most efficient way for me to get this fight over with?" And it ended up being a submission fairly quickly. I think under a minute or very close to a minute. Yeah, fifty-five seconds so, is what it says <clears throat> online here. Yeah, I would say the I would say the fifth fight that's 100% accurate. I went out there and just wanted to win. 
that was what that was the only focus in that in that fifth fight and i think that's what you're going to see from me moving forward i'm sure i'll be trying new techniques and things um but at no point in time am i going to go into a fight i think any time in the future with the ambition of like oh let's just feel this out yeah. <laughs> i don't really think i don't i don't have any intention of doing that the stakes are too high now uh for instance the last guy that i fought i think it was 12 and 3 uh and the most recent guy they were trying to get me to fight uh, which, you know, obviously the fight fell through because of the coronavirus stuff. Um, the, he was, I want to say maybe 12 and 0. Okay. And so it's just a completely undefeated fighter. So like, these are the kind of guys they're looking to pin me up against. It's like guys that have either had like, you know, over 15 fights experience or guys that are literally undefeated. Um, because the only other option is to put me with the guy that holds the title. <laughs> so yeah, and I'm really, I'm sure you you want to be tested. You've never been a guy that has sheared away from the best of the best. Sure, I got into this game for exactly that reason, you know. Um, and then you could, people could make the argument, oh, well, why didn't you start in the UFC or whatever yeah. the case may be? It's just like, well, hey guys, uh, I didn't have a pro career, did I? I didn't have an amateur career, did I? Like, I'm literally just starting this from square one. Like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I had no experience. So uh, I knew based off of the relationship that I had built with one championship, they were going to be able to get me fights and, uh, you know, we were going to be able to get things started rather quickly and, and I was going to gain experience. And that's exactly what I did. I mean, I had five fights in like a year and a half mm-hmm. um, or maybe it was the first four, like very quickly. It was, it was like in a year and a half and that, yeah, maybe something like that. And that's, so that's a pretty heavy fight load for most people. Like it's pretty hard to fight much more than that, especially if you're like, if you start in the UFC land, like the likelihood that you're going to get that amount of fights in that short period of time is probably very small unless they're like, unless they needed you to fill in for somebody in last minute or something. It's hard to get fights in the UFC, man. It's, it's not easy at the lower levels. I, I talk to a lot of guys <clears throat> that fight for them and it's, it's, it's not an easy thing. So I wanted an organization that was, uh, was going to be as interested in my development as I was in theirs. And, and one was the, was the way to go. Seems that way. And did you speak to any of your opponents post-fight? Were, were they at all surprised with your stand-up game? Um, I never really like had full conversations with them, um, with any particular opponents. I do remember, uh, I do remember one, uh, not opponent, but it was just somebody watching me doing some of my drills. Um, and I think he gave an interview afterwards, uh, somebody had asked him a question about me. I'm trying to remember what the guy's name was. I know it. I'm just not thinking of it at the current moment. But anyway, he was like, listen, he was like, if you guys think that that guy's on, the only danger from that guy's submissions, you're out of your mind. Like I watched him do some drills and stuff. I'm like, he looks dangerous. So, um, I think, I think I, sh- I surprised even just after the first fight, I'm pretty sure, uh, everybody was like, Oh damn. Like, you know, I, I literally hit a guy with a cross and he spun completely around. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, I think that anybody that just looks at me and thinks that the only dangerous submission is going to be in for a surprise for sure. If we, if they manage to break free from, uh, <laughs> from any type of control that I have anyway, uh, and we end up in fisticuffs, I think it's going to be, I think I'm going to be a challenge for anybody. I don't think it's going to be like some easy thing. I mean, anything can happen in MMA, but, uh, at the same time, I think, um, at the very least at this point in my career, I have the, the skills to stay safe, stay safe and, uh, do damage. And that's like two of the most important things I think in, in the standup game. Um, so yeah, I know, uh, you have a connection with evolve in Singapore, but who, who do you do your main training with in, in North America? Yeah. 
so um, pretty much all my training uh, is done under uh, John Danaher. He's like my main MMA coach. Um, I get a little bit of uh, kickboxing and stuff uh, work at Henzo's from um, Joe Sampieri and um, I'm trying to think of uh, Jamie Crowler. Uh, they work with me a little bit here and there. Uh, I don't really, I don't really like, uh, I don't like do too much pad work or anything like that, but I do like, I do some of the sparrings with the Muay Thai guys cause they throw a lot more kicks. Um, and it's, it's a little bit, they throw kicks and they throw elbows more than the guys that I spar in MMA sparring. So it's, it's, I get a little bit of coaching from them and a little bit of sparring from some of their guys. And, and that's helpful, um, just to make sure that I'm covering all my bases. Cause you know, not everybody's going to come out like, uh, you know, with a boxing style, especially yeah. in the, in these, uh, um, especially in these, uh, Asian organizations, like the, a lot, a lot of people usually have more of a Muay Thai background. They're more willing to throw elbows and high kicks and things like that. And you don't really see that as much from American MMA. Um, yeah, maybe high kicks, but, um, not as many elbows and things like that. And, uh, that kind of, that kind of stuff is kind of missing. But anyway, if for the most part, John heads off most of my sessions, um, basically, um, he's my striking coach, my grappling coach, everything, um, you know, ground, uh, you know, grap- grapple box, fence wrestling, all that stuff he pretty much covers. I mean, he had a pretty extensive career working with some of the best in the world in MMA before he even, you know, <clears throat> I think now John has just seemed as seen as this, like, uh, you know, mega grappling coach, like yeah. this amazing, you know, grappling coach. But what I think people sometimes even forget that like John was really originally, you know, George St. Pierre's MMA coach, you know, like one of his coaches. I mean, he was a grappling component of that as, as an MMA coach, but he certainly was helping, helping him and was a part of all of those camps. And it gave him real insight to kind of what was important to win MMA fights. And, um, as well as, uh, Chris Weidman, he worked with for in his earlier years, uh, when he was, you know, fighting Anderson Silva and stuff. Um, so, I mean, he's got a wealth of experience working with some of the best in the world in MMA. So he's, he's got a lot of really good ideas. Uh, he has me study a lot of really high level athletes from different sports. And, uh, that's kind of the way that I get things done. And then we, we basically put together a team of guys who, uh, are good sparring partners. Uh, I think that's another really big part of what allows me to continue to progress is my sparring partners. Um, it's not so much that anybody is particularly, you know, a killer or anything like that, that I'm sparring with every day. I'm not like sparring with multiple, you know, uh, UFC veterans or anything like that, but I'm sparring with guys that know how to stay under control and aren't going to, you know, fucking split my head open two weeks from, you know, next fight. And, uh, I think that's so much more important uh, than anything else in MMA. It's one of the, one of the most difficult things and it separates MMA from grappling is that grappling, you can train a hundred percent all the time, even with somebody who's a little rough. And most of the time it's not going to be a problem. Like you could just go balls to the wall. No big deal. If anything, it's a productive thing, you know, to do that, you know, because you're getting like a real competition experience, but you just can't do that in MMA. If every single one of your workouts, is like a fist fight, you're probably not learning. Number one, mentioning that what I was talking about before, like if I feel like I have to fight for my life, I'm certainly not going to be practicing new skills. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, you you can't have every training session like that and you can't have it from a standpoint of longevity. Like I don't want to be 40 and not be able to fucking remember my name. So, uh, yeah, man. So I have a lot of really good sparring partners that know how to stay under control and, you know, we're good with each other. And, um, 
you know, I'm very thankful for that. So that was, that's been a big part of, of accomplishing things in MMA as well as, as kind of building a good, good stable of guys that will come in and give good work and they're competitive, but, uh, you know, aren't trying to knock my head off or anything like that. Uh, speaking of grappling, going pedal to the metal during sparring, I, I heard on a podcast that Oliver Taza was on when he spoke about sparring with you that he felt like against a lot of guys when they're sparring, you, you feel like you're, you know, you're tired and you're going and you're going, but against you, he said that he feels like he actually gets a lot of work done and he feels like he learns a lot more because you guys are moving so much. That's got to be a pretty good compliment to hear that a lot of these guys are, are saying that your sparring sessions with them are, are super <laughs> productive. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny. Like, uh, we talk about this every once in a while that, like, people, like, whether it's like an outside uh, person or somebody that's not used to training with us, like, uh, always enjoys like training with me more than yeah. like a lot <laughs> of the other guys. Um, because I'm not really, my sparring, there are times where I'm going 100%, uh, but it's usually like clips within a match or like within a, within a sparring round in terms of grappling. It's very rarely do I even do I even spend an entire round trying to just go 100%. As I get close to competition, maybe you know, last couple weeks, you know, all right, you know, the people that I'm training with, I'm going to go 100% because I want to know what, you know, I want to do what I'm going to do in competition. But in my eyes, like the majority of the work that I'm doing is to make progress in learning and getting better. So I'm not like, to me, to me, it doesn't make sense for me to just go 100%. Um, cause a lot of times I'm trying brand new things and it's like really hard to do that. Like I said, if I'm like trying to fight for my life or the other, the other side of the coin is creating the conditions to make it, make the other person feel like they're fighting for their life. Yeah. Right. So if I start sparring with you a hundred percent, your reactions, you're more than likely, most people are not able to, to, to maintain control under that scenario, especially if I'm better than them. So they're, they're going to start reacting much differently than they would. If I start rolling like a little bit, a little bit slower, a little bit more controlled, a little bit more creating opportunity. Um, then people are a little bit more willing to engage. For sure. Yeah. You, they're not going to shell up. Times you go, yeah, you go hundred percent and now you just got like a, a fucking turtle. In front exactly. Of you, yeah. Right? <laughs> so uh, I, I like it from both a perspective of learning as well as just getting things done in training. It's kind of like what you were just talking about with Taza. I didn't hear the interview, but based off of what you just said, like him thinking that he got a lot more done, I think a lot more gets done that way, you know, rather than like, I don't know, like somebody just squeezing somebody like in half guard and not letting them go compared to like, Hey, like, all right, whatever. I got swept from half guard. Like now I'm going to try to set up this submission or, or sweep them back or whatever. Like no big deal. Um, I'm not like fighting tooth and nail to make sure that my opponent doesn't do anything to me. And that was a big part of the escape DVD that I put out as well in explaining that like, Hey guys, like I know that you've all been taught like win, win, win all these years, but at the same time, like, how are you supposed to get better at these bad positions you're supposed to be able to get out of? Like, that's the root of our sport. Like when people talk about having jujitsu fundamentals in my eyes, that's like your ability to get out of bad positions. Those are jujitsu fundamentals to me. Like, forget about like, oh, well, like the, you know, we're going to do the uh, whatever fucking, um, I don't know, like Gracie self-defense yeah. <laughs> fucking, you know, punch block or whatever it is. Like, that's not really, that's not the fundamental. Like, to me, the fundamentals is, hey, if I mount you, can you get out? Okay, if I put if I pin you in side control, can you get out in a safe and effective way? Yeah. Like, all right, like that's fundamental to me because anytime you're put in that sort of situation, if if you don't know how to do those things, you're done. 
you get your guard pass and the match is over. You know, and that's like I, I that's a hard pill for me to swallow. Like I could never I could never deal with that. So for me, it was like, oh, man, I'm going to be well versed in all of these like tough positions. Let them flatten me out in half guard. Let them mount me. Let them put my arm completely extended. Put me in a triangle and then I'll work out from there because, man, it's going to happen in competition one day. And like, you know, I want to be ready for it. I want to be able to to be confident. It's like I said before, having that, having that confidence, like it needs to be grounded in reality. I can't just, I don't, I'm not the type of guy that can just go out there and be like, yeah, you can't touch me. Like, unless <laughs> I really did something, you know, in training to let lead me to believe that. Right. So anyway, that's kind of how I roll. And I think it's productive. I think it's helpful for my training partners as well as me. It, it teaches them how to chain attacks together as well. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were actually making a joke about this the other day, like talking about because some competitors will come out and like, uh, you know, play pretty dirty, like yeah. hit people and shit, you know, whether it's like those smacking collar ties or like, you know, uh, guys like fish hooking or like punching you in the face to try to get like rear naked chokes like Wagner does. And, uh, <laughs> somebody, one of my friends was like, man, like, how do you guys like deal with that? Like I would just fucking punch the guy in the face. And I'm like, well, I was like, it's not like I don't want to, uh, <laughs> but sometimes it actually feels better. Like I like smile when stuff like that happens. Like I remember in the Hanato Canudo match in ADCC, he was like repeatedly collar tie smacking me. And I don't think I ever had to resort to doing it back. Like sometimes I do just because like, you know, it feels good, but <laughs> like it felt better to me to just like, as he's getting frustrated and hitting me, because to me, once you, once you're doing things like that, like that means you're relying on like tactics outside of technique. Like you're like, Oh shit. Like, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to hit this guy and maybe it'll like, kind of screw him up mentally and I'll be able to catch him off guard. Like if you're having to resort to tactics like that, to me, it makes me smile because it's like, Oh, I'm winning. Like clearly you're not confident in your abilities, right? Like that you have to do something like that. So I just like smile and keep going. So like when that kind of stuff happens in training, somebody like, you know, hits you or whatever the case may be. Sometimes it's the right thing, the right thing to just hit them back. But other times it's like, all right, this motherfucker is going to roll really rough with me. Like I'm just going to roll completely calm and relaxed, barely use any strength, still submit you. And then you're going to have to live with yourself knowing that you went 150% and I went 10%. Yeah. And I still beat you. That's like more of an insult to me than like going a thousand percent and beating the shit out of somebody. Makes sense. I, I, when you were talking about the smacking, it made me think of Nikki smacking Vinny while he was sitting on his butt there. <laughs> of, uh, wait, who? Of Nikki smacking who? Vinny, when he was sitting in the tag team match there at Submission oh, Underground. I didn't, see, I didn't see the tag team match, so I, I can't say for sure. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, we'll end, it, we'll end it there, Gary. I appreciate having you on, man, and great stories as always. Uh, the floor is yours now. I'll let you just sort of shout out anything you have to shout out, but whether it's sponsors or, you know, your gym, where they can find you on social yeah. media. The floor is yours, yeah, man. Yeah, so my gym is Brunswick Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I think a lot of people don't know. I refuse to attach my name to it, really, because I feel like it's their gym, and I don't want them to think this is Gary Tonin Jiu-Jitsu. I want them to, to live for themselves. But anyway, it's Brunswick BJJ. Um, and uh, social media stuff's fairly straightforward. It's all just my name, Gary Tonin. Um, as far as sponsorships and stuff, I'm working with CB Distillery. Like I got a, a great array of great products. I know they just put out a uh, disinfectant for the hands because everybody's uh, you know trying to stay clean with the whole virus thing. Um, and then I have my own apparel company. Uh, cash chicks championships that we're always trying to do stuff with we've been a little slow at producing a new, new product but maybe the uh, virus will give us some time to <laughs> to put something out so you know maybe there'll be something new in the store sometime uh 
soon. I also work with Chimera Coffee, uh, which is a great coffee company. I just gave some to my uncle the other day, and he's like, "Oh man," he's like, "What is this stuff? Meth?" He's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like "Can't like he, he can't stop moving." So, uh, I've I've always enjoyed working with them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So that's what we got going on right now. If anybody's interested in sponsorships, um, you know, I got an open table with a lot of different, uh, a lot of different ways that uh, people could get involved with sponsorships. So, you know, hit us up. Uh, you can hit me up, uh, at tone in seminar at Gmail for, you know, seminar opportunities as well as sponsorship opportunities. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I think, uh, that's good to go, man. Thanks for the interview. Joining the show now is a man who you all know. He is UFC Hall of Famer, but we're not going to be talking to him about MMA. Well, maybe we will. But we're going to be talking to him about a film that he helped produce, Green Rush. Please welcome Uriah Faber to the show. Uriah, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <coughs> now, How are you holding up in this whole... Uh, oh, man. It's 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 interesting, man. I, I mean, as you know, I'm from Vancouver, and uh, we're lucky here in British Columbia that the the climb or the peak or the curve or whatever you want to say is is relatively flat. It's it's not like New York by any means, but uh, I mean, right. you you still got to stay safe. You still can't just go out and do what you want to do. It's it's wild. What about you there? I mean, you have a little one. Yeah, we're just chilling. I mean, uh, the corona supposedly isn't super dangerous for for kids. It's more for folks that have, you know, altered immune systems or above 80. So um, we just following the guidelines and and hoping that we can come all out of the come out of this without, you know, too many lives affected and the economy not too badly affected. It's a scary time in the economy. I mean, it's nuts. No kidding. I mean, I ha- I have a a vacation place down in the states, and and I got to pay those dues every three months in in U.S. dollars. And I'll tell you, the Canadian exchange is not too good right now. Yeah, I'll bet, man. It's it's. I mean, we've never really seen anything like this. So I'm I'm curious to see how it all pans out. Staying optimistic and and hope that uh, you know, people aren't too affected. How are all your side little uh, businesses doing through this? You know, we'll see. I mean, we, it's hard to say until things clear out. They haven't yet, so um, it's 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 a lot of uh, you know precautions, and that's causing people to to be closed down. We're definitely closed down in three of our locations right now, and we have bills to pay, and we have uh, you know employees that are being laid off, and, and so it's, it hasn't been good. That's for sure. No kidding, and I mean. Uh, <laughs> Before we get into the movie, what, what were your thoughts on the UFC progressing as it did? Uh, obviously, earlier today it was announced, just a, maybe an hour ago or so, it was announced uh, that UFC 249 was officially canceled, which I think at the end of the day was obviously the right thing to do. What were your thoughts when they were saying that it was actually going to go down? You know, I, for me, I thought it was okay. I, I'm not necessarily... Um, you know, I'm not necessarily a guy that that thinks that this is a, a whole lot different than than the flu, um, just on my research. But that that's because I was looking at the numbers. I think you know, 49 million people get the flu each year, and um, you know, over 54,000 died last year from from the flu and the flu related in in the U.S. So um, I was kind of looking at those numbers and. Um, you know, it just it's hard to really know, but I, I, I err on the, the side of caution. 
So I, I think what the UFC was planning on doing was staying within the, the federal laws or federal suggestions of keeping 10 people uh, in a room and, 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 in fact, the stadium. So uh, I thought the way they were doing it was going to be okay, but, you know, I, there's everyone's worried about liability and social, uh, how, how people feel socially. So I understand why the bigger company, Disney or ESPN or whoever was in charge of pulling the plug at the end did that as well. Um, you know, everyone wants to abide and be looked at in a good light just in case this thing does become like the Spanish flu of 1918. That was, that was, you know, a scary time there where, you know, you have millions and millions and millions of people that die. But, uh, so far it seems like this is, 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 uh, is turned out to be, you know, serious, but, uh, you know, we're getting ahead of it. For sure. Let's uh, move on to brighter things. Well, I mean, the movie itself, it, it's, it, it takes you down some dark roads for sure, but uh, brighter things for you in, in the fact that you've got this cool new venture going on. Uh, I want to hear how it all got started. Obviously, I, I spoke with Rick Lee, who's the producer and you know the creator, story creator of the show. Um, how did you get in touch with him? I know you guys are buddies, but how did it all play out where you became a producer on this flick called Green Rush? So I've been uh, I've got a production company with with my partner Jared Roxburgh and him and Rick have done work together for years, you know UFC related and other projects as well. Um, so we've all talked about doing other projects for years and and got together scripts and pro- and, and and things that we've been working on, um, and learning the business and whatnot. But it, at the end of the day, it's 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 a lot of political stuff that goes on in the in the entertainment industry. And we decided to skip all that and just make something because we had a lot of talented people involved. And, and this, this project in particular, you know, Rick came together, came, came with the concept. We, were, we had two other projects that we were working on prior to this. Um, but the budgets were just, you know, and, and, that, and, that, and the planning was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and we said, you know what, let's, let's do something where we can, we can, uh, we already have a, a, a great story. We have a, a location picked out. We have all the people that will write the, write the, the movie for the, all the actors and, and everyone does their part. And, uh, we brought the money together, got the, the cast together, got the back end together and, and hammered this thing out and made an awesome project. So, um, you know, this is, this is something that we threw in as, as, Hey, let, let us show what you, we can do. But on the, on the side of doing a lot of other projects, you know, after this one and, and, you know, everyone went above and beyond and we made an awesome product. And, um, I think, you know, Andre Feely makes his debut as an actor in here. And we've got a lot of great actors that, that are, uh, you know, big roles in this thing. And, um, it makes for, a uh, a great watch, man. It's, it's like a slow burn, high action, uh, <laughs> no pun intended, I guess, eh? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, you spoke about Andre Feely there, obviously a, a training partner of yours, uh, making his acting debut. How did it come about that he he became uh, a star in this flick? Well, I, we've been talking about doing a lot of different projects for a while now, and, and you know, we have a movie, Devour, that we were developing that we were going to go on, and then we have a... a a movie called Point Arena that that was kind of my baby, and um, and I have you know some other projects that I've worked on prior where I've been involved as an actor, and I've always talked to Hughes about it. He's got a real 
uh, knack for it and a real passion for, for, uh, acting. And so he told me that a long time ago and he said, keep me in mind when you start doing this stuff. Cause I'm, I always talk about stuff before I'm going to do it. I'm not afraid to talk about what I'm planning on doing. And he's kind of the same way. And so that he, he has aspirations to be an actor and that's one of his passions and that's one of the visions he has for himself. And, and, you know, I just felt like he would be good at it. And so, uh, you know, we just put him in there. We wrote a, wrote a little part that we thought would be good for him. And, and he knocked it out of the park, man. He's, he's a, he's a talented guy. And, and, uh, it was, it was good to see him in there and taking it serious and, and hanging with all the pros when it, when it came to the acting, the acting gig. Now, I know you, uh, Rick told me that you were a big part of getting the distribution deal done with Lionsgate. Um, you, you spoke earlier about a lot of politics with the film game and, and stuff like that. So how tedious was it to get this distribution deal? Well, you know, it was a lot of different factors. And, and um, I've got my my longtime manager, Mark Shulman, that's been kind of teaching me about this business. And then Jared and Rick, of course, have a lot of a, a lot of knowledge. Then we also have a, another producer on this thing, Sergio uh, Rizzuto, who has been in a lot of big films as of late, and he's been producing as well. So um, I had some old relationships there from from back in the day when I was, uh, you know, making the run through LA, meeting people and whatnot. And Sergio had some some doors that he had to open there, and and then. Uh, you know, I think the film speaks for itself. You know, Lionsgate is is one of the best out there, and and they saw our product, and and it was the first person that we showed it to, and and we had a uh, a deal right off the bat, which is very rare for independent films without high level talent attached. So, um, I think it was a, a a combination of having an amazing product, and you know, knowing the people there that that uh, that could shoot us straight and, and talk to us about you know, how this thing would work. And, um, you know, and it, it's been a, a big learning process, especially for me, because like I said, I've been studying this, this industry and learning and learning and learning, but getting one over the finish line and our first one to boot, uh, is, is pretty incredible. For sure. Now, you know, there's always a number of producers on a show, executive producers, co-executive producers, uh, the list goes on. Now, you're a producer and obviously a byline in the, in the credits, you'll be Uriah Faber. And it also says it in the trailer and whatnot. So what was your overall role with a film like this as Uriah Faber, the producer? Well, for me, uh, being a producer is just putting the pieces together. And, um, you know, like I said, my, my, my producing partner, Jared, uh, is actually a really, really talented director and also a writer and also an editor by trade. I Meaning that's how he's made his living for a lot of years is, is being a high level editor. So having him be the guy along with Matt Irwin, who's the cinematographer, um, really high level cinematographer was, was a huge part of this thing because, you know, you have to be able to spot talent. And I've done that in the fight game, you know, for, for years and years, been able to spot guys that, that, it have what I think, you know, it takes to, to excel and, and then, you know, putting the pieces together to help you get there and doing my part to help motivate and, and, and provide the right setting and, and whatnot. And my dad has taught me about the construction game also. And it's, you know, a contractor does the same thing. You find the moving parts, the, the, the guys that can frame and someone who can lay the foundation and the electrical and the plumbing and, and everything else. And then have a, have a vision 
and and that's that's kind of what what producing is for me and um i've always been an artist martial artist but i you know i like creating things you know uh and and i've done that you know with the team and with my <clears throat> with my style of fighting and 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 this is another avenue for that you know it's 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 really fun and uh it's cool to have so many people that are attached to the mixed martial arts world too with with rick and and uh you know andre and jared he was a, he was a producer on the on the uh on the ultimate fighter when i was there my season with dominic cruz and um you know danny acosta is one of the writers and uh you know it, it's 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 a bunch of the 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 staff that's been on the ultimate fighter series that got pulled off and we're helping run the back end of things um we got big Cole in there and and, and the list goes on, but, um, you know, we made an awesome product that we're super proud of and, and can't wait to show everyone on April 14th. Yeah. Which is next Tuesday. I saw that it launches VOD, um, red box, the list goes on where you can view it online and on demand and whatnot. Was it initially supposed to be a theatrical release? We were definitely going to do, uh, a couple of key showings you know, in Southern California and Sacramento, but, um, I think this is kind of the plan for this one. This is, this is the the model that that makes sense for this movie, and and uh, we would probably do some 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 small showings in theaters and select places. But uh, for the most part, this is the kind of movie that that we're bringing straight to your home. So before I let you go, why don't you let people know why they should check this flick out on uh, April fourteenth? I mean. You can check out the trailer. It's going to be on the the website that uh, this post is going up with. The trailer will be there and a link to where you can view the movie. But you yourself obviously have a passion behind it. So why should people watch this? You know, the coolest thing about this thing, and it's almost like when people say they want to watch college football, uh, you know, they feel like people are trying harder, you know, and they've got, you know, they're not doing it for the money and this and that. This, this film is really a lot of uh, a lot of talented people with something to prove, and, and I think they did that. The, the movie has a lot of action, has a great storyline. It's it's relevant to what's happening right now in, in the U.S. and the world when it comes to the marijuana market, and and kind of an insight to that whole scene. Um, and it's entertaining, man. A lot of twists, and a lot of turns. It'll it'll have you scratching your head, but also, you know, jumping out of your seat and getting creeped out at times. I mean, you'll, you'll feel a lot of emotion watching this film and, and, uh, and, and, and I'm sure you'll, you'll want to watch it twice. It's one of those movies where you watch it a second time. You'll pick up all the things that you didn't the first time once the storyline pans out. So, um, I think people will love it. Uh, I, I hope they get to get the chance to check it out. I know people are sitting at home waiting for things to do. <clears throat> you know, you, everyone's already seen the the Tiger King, so uh, <laughs> let's let's get the uh, the Green Rush going. What'd you think of the Tiger King? Oh, I loved it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> we got a we got a movie we're, we're we're putting together right now that that well, you know, it gave some motivation for him. You know, we got some motivation from called <laughs> the Manly Heart of the KO and and uh, some characters that will be similar to those type of characters. In, in the the Tiger King, so I, I was cracking up the whole way through, man. I mean, talk about the real world and how interesting it can be. Oh my gosh! No kidding. Did Carol feed her husband to the tiger or what? Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> no doubt. 
All right, you're right. I appreciate you joining me, man. Finally, I guess the last thing I want to ask, will we see you back inside the cage? You know, I'm not opposed to it. Uh, you know, this coming out of this economy, we're, we're going to take a hard look. This may be the, the modern day Cinderella man. If, if, uh, if things are as affected as they could be. So I, I, I think, uh, you know, getting in great shape is always step one for me and having an itch for it. That's, that's step two. So I'll see where I sit at the end of this quarantine. And, uh, you know, I did tell myself when I came out of retirement at 40 that I would do four fights at 40 because that's what I had on my contract. I've since signed more fights, but, um, you know, two more would, 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 you know, make me a man of my word. 100%. You heard it here. Thanks a lot, Uriah. Uh, have a great night and stay safe, man. All right, guys. I hope you enjoy uh, the Green Rush, especially out in Canada. <laughs> especially out in BC. Yeah, that's right. Have a good one, brother. You too. That was Uriah Faber. Earlier in the show, we were joined by Gary Tonin. Uh, seems like people are keeping active uh, during these tough times. And it's it's really interesting to hear how everyone is biding their time and, and just waiting to be able to come out of this and, and do the everyday norm that they did previously. So I'd like to thank Uriah for joining the show. Thank you to Gary for joining the show. And thank you to you guys for listening to Sucker Radio this week. Uh, We've all got time on our hands, so make sure you share this episode with your friends. Uh, Make sure you check it out on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. I'm Jeremy Brand. This is Sucker Radio. I'm out.